If you've got your Bible and following along, Genesis chapter 3 is where we're going to be. You can also jump on cc.guide. Today is a really good day to take notes. Uh, it is more in-depth and theological than we normally go on a Sunday morning. It is also a tougher message. We have created a culture here at City Church where we talk about the difficult things. We want to model to the world what unity and diversity looks like. When you walk into the church, you're not walking into a place where you look and act and believe exactly the same thing. And so our world says, if you're different than me, if you believe different, then I can't have a relationship with you. But the church, we say this, the gospel of Jesus Christ and the cross of Christ is enough to bring us unity. And so we're going to wrestle through the difficult stuff. And this morning is difficult. It's a tough message. It's not one I necessarily uh, enjoy bringing. Uh, I only re- re- rewrote it 16 times. Uh, if you want to know about Pastor Matt, I, I have a tendency to obsess over things like this. And so, because I want to get it just right, um, but it's impossible. And so I'm going to do my best and hopefully that it's received and it um, and brings glory to God. And uh, there's a there's a talk notes on cc.guide. There's also a tab that says Love Lies Resources, where books, Christian worldview class, opportunities, if you want to continue to, to further dive into this. We have been in this series. We are ending this series today. Love Lies, Cultural Myths, we believe about love, sex, marriage, and singleness. We have been uh, tackling some difficult things, some great things. This morning, we are tackling the love lie, I am what I feel or desire. I am what I feel or desire. Let me say this about, we just showed some pictures of the building, which we're super excited about, still on track for November, December. After so many delays that we've had to have, man, we are excited about what God's going to do. The two things I'm really excited we're going to bring back, number one is midweek is coming back. This is the first service we will ever do in the new building is a prayer and worship night. First Thursday night of every month is going to be midweek. And then our Christian worldview class where we were going to create forums where not only teaching can happen, but discussion, Q&A, where we can talk about culturally related issues that are happening today and how we as followers of Jesus can have a God-honoring worldview and ethic. And how many know we need safe places where we can be real about the real stuff? We need places where, you know what, it's okay to disagree and we can still love each other well as we seek to really discover truth in these areas. Um, Some things to note as we jump in this. I've said this from the beginning of this series, our culture and uh, the church are deeply divided on sexual ethics. We are moving in opposite directions. More than ever before as we head into postmodernism and a secular culture that we have to be willing to be countercultural in our sexual ethics. Uh, This has become a defining topic of our lifetime. Let me also say it is impossible for me to address the complexity of every issue in 30 minutes, right? There are so many nuances. There are so many layers to things. I knew I was going to preach on this for two months now. I had no idea that the Roe versus Wade decision was going to drop two days before I preached on this. And to even begin to wade into that and some of the complexities is, is really impossible in the time that we have. Let me also say that the church has often struggled to create any sort of safe places for conversation with people who struggle with sexuality. For whatever reason, we have no problem creating safe places for everything else, but for sexuality, it it seems to be difficult for us. And yet we have created a place at City Church over the 13 year history where we've been able to do that. And I'm so honored for so many in our church community who are lovingly, faithfully, and courageously wrestling through your sexuality and finding your identity in Jesus. And I want you to know how much I love you, how much I see you, I am so grateful for you. Honestly, as a young pastor, I would boldly come up here and preach messages, and as I get older, I do more with fear and trembling. 
because I realize these aren't just topics, these represent people and lives and stories and their friends and I know you and I love you. Our journey for today is two questions. Two questions we're gonna wrestle with. How did we get here? How do we live faithfully in this present moment? How did we get here? How do we live faithfully in the present moment? There's a lot of other really good questions to ask that we don't have time to get into. But our Christian worldview class, we will get into those. Two weeks ago, I talked about a theology of sexuality, the two lies that sex is just physical or sex is shameful. So we begin to delve into this. I can't go back and lay that foundation. You're welcome to listen to that. We talked about Genesis 1, the creation mandate that God formed you and I in the image of God, that we were the only part of creation formed in the Imago Dei, that he gave us sexual differentiation, male and female, as a gift. He told us to be fruitful, to multiply, to create and flourish as we go into the earth using what God has resourced us with for the blessing of ourselves and others. And then we know in the story that Genesis three happens and everything is different. And Genesis one and two is a significant part of our story in creation and how many know Genesis three is a significant part of our story. It says this in verse one, now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, you may eat fruit from uh, the tree that you, you may not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Genesis 3 incident becomes the reoccurring theme in human history and Satan's primary tactic he will begin to use over all of humanity. That our hearts because of sin now are idol factories, we're idolatrous. Our, our pride deceives us into thinking and believing that we can determine what is right, good, and true just like Eve did. In fact, what we have today, I believe in the issue of sexuality and other issues, we have a lordship issue. I've learned as a pastor, people have less problem with Jesus being savior and saving you from their sin and more of a problem with Jesus being Lord because Jesus being Lord means you have to give up things that you love and value. It means that you have to release something that maybe you hold dearly to yourself. And lordship is difficult. Lordship's not difficult when you're asked to give up something that's easy to give up. But what about when Christ calls you to come and carry your cross and that comes with a great price? It's something that doesn't come easy. Lordship is difficult. Could Eve trust that although the fruit looked pleasing to her, that God's laws weren't just arbitrary or restrictive, but actually for her flourishing? Could she believe that God didn't just randomly say, you know what, man, not this tree, to limit something in her life. Could Eve trust that God was trustworthy and faithful and so good that he wasn't just trying to keep her from life, but actually in these laws and order was actually giving her life. When John is writing this in 1 John, I think there's no doubt that he had the Genesis narrative we just read in mind. Look what 1 John chapter 2, verse 15 says. He says, don't love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father for the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. 
First John, first Peter reminding us, this is not our home. The world is not ours. What is the sign that we are not in this world? We don't operate in pride. We operate in submission. You want to know what people of God do nowadays? They walk humbly. That's how you know the fruit of the spirit is really at work in people because the pride of life says it's my way or the highway. Humility says, you know what? I'll meet you where you're at and love you where you're at. And guess what? I may not be completely right either. And so I'm going to hold a space for that and love you well. Look what, it, look what it says in 1 John 2. It says the lust of the flesh. It says in Genesis 3 that Eve saw the fruit of the tree was good for food. Eve waltzes up to the middle of the garden, the one tree that God said don't eat from. And she's like, that looks really good. And how many know when someone tells you you can't have it, it looks even better, right? It's like the big red button I put up here and says, nobody can press it. And you're like, I didn't know how badly I wanted to press it until you told me not to, right? Because that's what sin does. It activates that inside of us. Then it says this, the lust of the eyes. The fruit was pleasing to her eye. Not only did it look good for food, but Eve wanted it. She's like, that looks good. And then she goes on, the pride of life comes in. And Eve says this, it it looks desirable for gaining wisdom. I I want you to be able to see that. Eve looks at it and says, you know what? I, I think God may be actually keeping us from something not trying to get something to us. He's keeping it. And when we eat from this tree, then we will be open to see what we wouldn't see before. How many know the enemy has no power over you? All he has is lies. And he uses them really well. And deception right now is rampant in our world. And I am praying for the body of Christ to have the spirit of discernment to know truth from untruth. You know where the spirit of discernment comes from? It doesn't just come because someone laid their hands on you and you received the gift. The spirit of discernment comes because you're rooted in the word of God. You have community around you who is iron sharpens iron and challenging you. You are under submission to authority, which I know today authorities are always bad. No, it can be a blessing and a good thing. That's how you live in a spirit of discernment. How you don't live a spirit of discernment is finding the things that you build your platform on, going to other people who believe just the exact same things, and then just putting those people in your life. That's where deception breeds. The place, the community, the church is supposed to be a place where we're able to understand truth from untruth. What do we do when we believe God's words about life and sexuality may appear to be repressive or against our desires or in stark contrast to what the culture around us values and accepts? Let me tell you, the gospel took root in a countercultural movement where the church was not at all uh, the majority. They were the minority. In fact, they were often persecuted. They were often looked down upon because the Greek culture, the Roman culture of the first century was licentious. It was whatever you wanted to do, you could use your body. You would go to the cultic temples and and prostitutes and lay with them as an act of worship. And the church was standing in radical contradiction to that. Women had no rights in the first century. Second rate, men could have adultery and sleep around, but if a woman did did it, she would be put to death. And the church came in and said, no, No, it elevated the status of women. It elevated the status of our body. It said, you have honor, dignity, and worth. And everybody around them laughed. And we look today and we're like, man, thank God for the early church. But guess what? You're living in a culture that is getting closer to that than ever before. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? Because I don't think we even realize sometimes how the culture is discipling us. It's discipling us. 
Do we believe Jesus is trustworthy and worthy of our obedience in the area of sexuality, even though those around us will not believe it? They will not look to us and say, you know what, great job. They won't celebrate that in us. Let me say the reality of effects of sin on our world and sexuality. Here's the reality. Some people don't feel the blessing of sex or gender differences. That is a reality. Some people don't feel aligned with their biological sex or gender they were created with. Some people are born with intersex or gender dysphoria conditions, a very small percentage, but it exists where, where they, they don't have uh, differentiation. Some have always felt a desire for the same sex and never for the opposite sex. If you don't believe these things to be true, it's because you don't have relationships with these people who are living through this, right? I, I do. It's, it's family members of ours. We just, for three days, our family just left yesterday who, who we love dearly, who are walking through this. We, we, we love them, but if you don't have relationship with people, how many know it just becomes a concept? It becomes something like you think about, but when it becomes flesh and blood, all of a sudden there's mercy and compassion, right? Because now my friend is walking through this and I wanna walk through that with them. Unfortunately, our culture has been discipled by politics and politics teaches us to dehumanize people and reduce people to viewpoints, right? It's right or wrong. You're either here or there. It's us versus them. Yet how many know if we are the people of God called to reach the world that we're living in, it can't be us versus them. How do you reach them if you're not with them and loving them and in relationship with them? But even many Christians have dehumanized people and reduced people to topics and concepts and, f- and sins and failed to see the imago day that is inside each and every person. Did you hear me this morning? The imago day resides in each and every person, regardless of their behavior or viewpoints or whether or not you agree or disagree with them. You can disagree with someone and honor the imago day inside of them. Amen. Genesis chapter one is a picture of God's design. Genesis chapter three is the devastating effects of sin and brokenness on our world and society. And then we're going to look at Romans chapter one. Romans chapter one is the unraveling effects of sin. If Genesis one and two is creation, Romans one is uncreation. Now to my, my, my gay friends that are in the room that you're listening, there are gay Christians and gay theologians. They, they call Romans one a clobber passage. Well, pastor, you're, you're gonna use a clobber passage this morning. I don't see it as a clobber passage. I'm not here to clobber anybody this morning. We still have to wrestle with scripture and the implications of it, right? We have to, it, we have to wrestle with what it says. Romans chapter one is talking about the increasing wickedness of mankind upon our world and what happens when the wrath of God is poured out on mankind. I told you we're deeply theological this morning. Go with me. It's worth it. All right. Take notes if you need to. The wrath of mankind is being poured out. Wrath and the love of God are not separate things. God doesn't take off his love hat, put it aside and says, today I choose to be wrathful and destroy everybody. That's not how God operates. God judges and the wrath of God comes in love. You're like, how is that even possible? Here's what God is saying in Romans chapter one. The inevitable destination when you choose sin and rebellion is always death. It's not God pouring out something on anybody. It's him saying, if you wanna choose sin and rebellion, let me tell you where that road leads to spiritual and even physical death. And so I will allow you to go there if you choose that. That's the wrath. The judgment of God is something you and I should be praying God for because we don't get into eternity if there's not judgment or eternity is not gonna be good if there's not judgment. If God doesn't separate good from evil, sin from eternity with him. And so this is what Romans 1 is dealing with. 
as we dive into this. Let's read it. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. But their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, listen to these words. Although they claimed wisdom, they became fools. And they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like a mortal human being and birds and animals and reptiles. Therefore, God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth about God for a, say it with me, the truth about God for a, for a lie. We're going to come back there. And they worshiped and served created things rather than the creator who is forever praised. Amen. This is the uncreation. This is the effects of Genesis 3. This is, this is Eve terminology right here that we just went in, that they claim to be wise. There are things that I know that God doesn't know. There are things that I believe to be true that don't seem to be consistent with scripture. What happens when we as a society, as a culture, when we get away, when we stop fixing our eyes on God and, and we just maybe just a little bit turn from it? What happens? Well, imagine you were in the middle of the ocean and you were on a boat and you get off just one or two degrees, but you go that way for two months, right? That's, that's the picture that Paul's painting. He said, literally, they had the image of God, these invisible qualities of God that have been apparent throughout creation, and they've rejected the image of God for their own images. You know what we do today? We don't put other images and other idols. We put ourselves on the throne. No, I know what is good, right, and true for me. And nobody is going to repress me by telling me otherwise. That is the anthem of our culture. Paul's talking about that. He said, what happens when you take God literally off the throne and you set him over here and you put other images or other ideas and you begin to walk in that direction for prolonged amounts of time? Guess what? This is what, this is what God's getting to right here. He's saying, you begin to think ideas that are no longer consistent with who God is. You have normalized lies. Are you with me? Lies now seem ordinary. They, they seem ordinary. And this is where we're at today. And it's only getting worse, right? That lies, especially about sexuality, are normalized. Verse 26, because of this, God gave them over to shameful lust. Even their women exchanged natural sexual relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, the men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed shameful acts with other men and received themselves the due penalty for their error. Furthermore, just as they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, so God gave them over to a depraved mind so that they do what ought not to be done. I have had these conversations thousands of times where many of my gay friends says, well, he's talking about licentious sexual homosexual activity, not committed monogamous homosexual relationships, and we simply do not get that from this text. We would have to read into it to come to that conclusion. John Mark Comer in his book, Live No Lies, it's on your resource page on cc.guide. How do we come to normalize the lies of the devil in our culture? I think this book is very strategic for our time. It's number one is it starts with deceptive ideas. Because how many know deception and lies is all the enemy has? He uses them well, but it's all he has. And deceptive ideas move into this. They play to disordered desires, which is the flesh. How many know the flesh does not always follow the ways of God? Are, are we together on that? We, don't, we can't just follow the flesh or our desires or they lead us to a place we don't always want to be. If I follow my flesh, I would not be married for 15 years. I would have done plenty of other things with plenty of other people. Right? You would have too. Don't act like I'm some kind of sinful individual. <laughs> right? No, we know that. 
So we, get, we start with lies and then it moves into flesh, which are often disordered inside of us, which are normalized in a sinful society. And this is exactly what Romans 1 is talking about. When lies now become normalized in our society, we begin to walk a certain direction and they're normalized. And the sexual ethics of our culture have been normalized, the lies. How did we get here? How many know we didn't just wake up in this place? Now, I am a philosophy guy. I'm a history guy. Any other history buffs in the room? Anybody like history? Awesome, all three of you, cool. Um, I, I think this is where history comes into play because we learn from history. We learn that often the things that we're going through have been repeated and, and cyclical in nature. We didn't just wake up here. Are you aware of how the culture and this postmodern secular culture, do you, do you understand even how they're discipling you? Because you're, you're receiving thousands of images every day and slogans and things that are discipling you. There's again, there's a lot of books online on our cc.guide, The Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self by Carl Truman. It follows this whole line for the last 300 years, Total Truth by Nancy Piercy, Love Thy Body by Nancy Piercy, two incredible books that she wrote. As early as the 18th century, there were influential voices who began advocating for a different way of seeing life, truth, and sexuality. And give me five minutes to get super philosophical and then we're gonna go back, right? Influential voices as early as the 18th century. The Enlightenment was a time of reason, individualism, and skepticism. Let me give you some examples of how the seeds were sown as early as the 17th, 18th century that we are now reaping the harvest of those seeds of postmodernism today. Understand that in the 18th century, when these are being said, nobody really believed when they were out of the box. It was a, a culture of modernity and these were foreign. But today, because of how we have progressed as society, these are now normalized. We have now laid the ground for these seeds to flourish and grow. Immanuel Kant, we do not live in a world structured by God, but by human consciousness. Our minds are the highest forms of authority and to truly be free, we must throw off all restraints. For you to be free, anything that is oppressive, any hierarchies or authorities must be thrown off, our culture would say. Nietzsche would say this, facts do not exist, only interpretations exist. There is no God, no transcendent or objective foundation that determines human nature or human destiny. He would go on to say God is dead and the Christian church has literally used God to manipulate people for generations. Rousseau would say the one who is truly free is the one who is free to be himself. It is following that inner voice that makes one truly free, truly authentic. We read these things today and they're like, that sounds like the world. You read these 300 years ago, nobody was saying this. I mean, it's how far that... Culture has progressed into these beliefs. Sigmund Freud, sexual restraint may be necessary for civilization. I find it odd he said that because he knew that without sexual restraint, people would just go and abuse everybody. But he also believed that was the only way to freedom was to throw off sexual restraint. So how do you do that? It's a tough place to be for him. Sexual restraint may be necessary for civilization, but it is harmful and unhealthy for the individual. Humans are machines and satisfaction is our mission. This satisfaction is found primarily through sexual pleasure. So we're moving 18th, 19th century. I know I'm flying through this, all right? Uh, William Reich, a 1960s psychologist who coined the phrase sexual revolution and preached a gospel of redemption through complete immersion in sexual instincts. If you follow your sexual instincts, they will lead to the life you were designed to live. Can you imagine that? <laughs> the core happiness in life, he would say, is sexual happiness. Michael Foucault, a French postmodernist and author on the history of sexuality, argues that in the space of a few centuries, sex went from being just one activity of life to being our core identity. Sex is now treated as the master key to knowing who we are. 
Sex is the explanation for everything and is more important than the soul. That is where we are today. Margaret Sanger, the founder of Planned Parenthood, she describes history as a struggle to free our bodies and minds from the constraints of morality, the cruel morality of self-denial and sin. Her view, sexual liberation was the only method by which a person could find inner peace and security and beauty. The seeds of secularism and postmodernism. Each of us finds our meaning by giving expression to our own feelings and desires. The inner psychological life of the individual is sovereign, right? Your identity becomes potentially limitless to whatever you can think or come up with. We are actually living in a society right now that has no more, that are not anchored to anything. Do you notice everybody's everywhere all over the place? We don't have anchor points. There's no truth. Truth is all relative. We have no hierarchies and no authorities in our life. People no longer have the church there to anchor them in something. And so here we are floating along, trying to anchor ourselves to moving objects, which is why even sexually we find ourselves in a thousand different places. Where does this take us? Well, our culture says in order to experience freedom, you throw off all hierarchies, all moral law, all restraints, all authorities, all of those are oppressive. They're restrictive. And I wish I had time to go into this cultural lies. I don't. So I'm just going to list them real quick. And it's just a few of them. Now we believe the subjective rules over the objective. What you feel is greater than how you were made. Your desires reign over design. Your mind now has greater control than over your body. I talked about this two weeks ago. The biological body matters to God. It matters in recreation and eternity. You will physically be raised from the dead. What you do with your body matters. But we live in a world that says your body doesn't matter. Use it how you want as long as you protect your soul and your spirit. We have separated what God meant to be whole and be put together. The autonomous self over the physical body. Personal freedoms over biblical order. We are living in a time where everybody is demanding their personal freedoms over the good of the whole or loving their neighbor or what God may even say. And license over authority. We have license to do whatever we want. This is the flag that we're flying. It's ironic because again, we think that we've developed and we've progressed so far in society and yet this is exactly what Paul's dealing with in 1 Corinthians. The First Corinthian church, literally there's a young man who's sleeping with his stepmom in the church and he's boasting about it. And he's like, you're boasting that look how free you are because you have license sexually to do whatever you want. And Paul looks at him and says, that is not freedom. That is slavery. You're not, you're not free to anything. You are in bondage to the world. And you're waving a flag of freedom, not even knowing that you are not experiencing life at all because that is not how God designed you to live. But here's where we're at. When you follow this line, you understand in our culture, and I understand what I'm about to bring up is very complex and nuanced, and there's both sides of things, and so please hear these with grace and and, and the heart behind them, but this is why our culture tells a young boy who doesn't feel aligned with his gender that he's a girl, and he has to change. His only option is to follow that. As young as four and five years old, and it is heartbreaking to think that you would tell someone who doesn't know who they are and struggling that their biology doesn't matter, that God messed up, and it doesn't speak to who they are. This is why our culture will often tell a woman her rights or desires supersede the baby in her womb. I wrote that two weeks ago, not two days ago. Right? And this the whole conversation and where we're at right now with abortion. And I know there's people that are all over the place. Ultimately, the conversation comes back to this. Is that fetus in the womb a person? Is it a person? If it's not, 
then you will elevate the rights and the other issues and what all the, the, uh, the abortions that don't allow to happen, well, it will create the, the chaos. People are like, well, who's going to care for all of them? And I will be the first to raise my hand and say, I will. We have continued through one-on-one project to create a place in Oklahoma where no family is without a, no child is without a family. We will continue to do that. But ultimately, the conversation starts, is that a person? Our culture, because of what I just I just laid out for you, has gotten to the place where they says, no, that person, that, that, that fetus doesn't qualify as a person. Well, in my scripture, in my faith, it does. Amen. It does. It, it simply does. Now you have to wrestle with the implications in your life if that, if that fetus qualifies as a person. Because I believe the same Imago day is in that fetus that is in a child. I will fight for the children who are being gunned down by gun violence in a school the same way I will fight for the person in the womb. Amen. Because I believe they're both both made in the image of God. You have to figure out where do I follow that? Does it align biblically with what I believe in scripture? And obviously there's a lot of different people. I'll tell you, I have, I have never done this before, but this, this week I literally had to delete my Twitter app. Come on now. Anybody ever been there? You're like, I just can't take it anymore. I may put it back on eventually, but I just like, I, my soul is weary. My soul is weary. And, 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 and this is more pastoral advice and you can kind of take it or leave it. It's, this is not gospel. This is not, I'm not quoting scripture to you. Like this, I, I, my, my soul was weird because I saw individuals who I know genuinely love God. I, I, I don't think the world should follow the ways of Jesus because they don't know any better, right? So when the culture says things that the culture values, I'm like, of course they do. What grieves me is when I say people who are followers of Jesus who've adopted a narrative that looks nothing like Jesus, that no longer honors the Imago Dei in people, right? That says things that reduces people to facts or issues and no longer sees them as humans and persons, right? And that's what I've been seeing over the last few days that so grieved me is to say, man, now it's no longer like we have, we've like, we've, we've unhitched from the biblical narrative, the story of God, and yet we call ourselves followers of Jesus, but we're not living under God's kingdom in that area. There's a whole, I think, generation of Christians in regards to sexual ethics and their sexual identity that have unhitched from the biblical narrative. They've hitched themselves to the cultural narrative and they don't even realize it. They think it's the ways of God, but it's not. That's what deception does to us. When we normalize lies, that's where it takes us. That wasn't in my notes. This is why we tell someone with same-sex attraction the only option for them is to pursue, pursue this desire or this is their identity. Let me say this, I am so grateful for so many people in our church. We have so many people in the LGBTQ community that go here, that I've had to have this conversation with you, that we walk together, that we wrestle, we agree and disagree together. I'm so grateful for you. I'm so thankful for you. You know what I start with, regardless of your sexual orientation, is that you were a child of God. And your identity is first and foremost in Jesus. And I don't, that doesn't matter if you're homosexual or heterosexual or whatever you may be walking through, your identity is in Christ first and foremost. Amen? That's where we start for all of us. Today, you will be exposed to hundreds and thousands of messages, marketing schemes, slogans, articles, promoting ideas, contrary to a biblical sexual ethic. Are you prepared for this? Are you prepared? Are you wrestling with scripture, your faith, what you believe? How do we live faithfully in this present moment? Number one is this. Listen to this, please. Please. The church must move beyond Sunday services and a network of loose friendships to a thriving countercultural movement committed to living the way of Jesus. It just doesn't work anymore for us to attend on Sunday and be like, yeah, peace. Good to see you. See you next week. You have to have a place where you are wrestling through the implications of your faith. 
The last two and a half years, you know how many pastoral statements I've had to come up with about the things that have happened in society? From insurrections to racial injustice to gun violence to capital punishment, all of the things are like, Pastor, what's our stance? I'm like, back to the laboratory to figure out, you know, exactly where, I mean, I, I just feel like it's just like constant, right? And I got to be honest with you, there's sometimes like I'm unequipped, right? A woman comes up to our church and she doesn't attend here, but she asked me, she's like, Pastor, I'm single, but I'm thinking I'm having, a, I'm going to have a child through in vitro fertilization and thinking about fostering. And I just want to know scripturally, what's the precedent for that? I'm like, there's no scriptural precedent for that. <laughs> Paul never wrestled with that. Ask me next week. I don't know, <laughs> you know? <laughs> That's what I feel like every week. It's complex. Do you know Jesus grew up in a time in the first century where this back and forth and wrestling with issues was the norm? We don't have that, do we? No, we don't have that. We make statements with very limited information. We grab on to what we hear others say. If we are gonna do this well, this is why you have to be in a micro church. I mean, it's not just a good idea. Like you have to have biblical community. You need to be in a mentoring relationship. As a staff, we took an hour and a half on Monday and we wrestled through cultural issues together. And some people were like, well, that was a wasted hour and a half. No, that was establishing the culture of our church. We are gonna wrestle with our faith. Cody's back there. Nope, he's somewhere else. Cody Jensen, our creative director. I love Cody. I, I love that man. And I'd do anything for Cody. We've been journeying together for so long. Cody and I see things differently. I'm so grateful for him. He challenges me. I think I challenge him. We did a podcast uh, together for a while. We're going to bring back because we, we are different in a lot of areas and it's good, but we, we have a safe place where we can be honest with where we're at and wrestle with scripture and what God says and how many know you need that? Man, we need that more than ever before. I don't, I don't know how you're going to make it without it. I don't know how. I have an inner circle of men where I can come in and, and Man, one's a Nazarene, one's a Baptist, and one, I think he's just given up, right? And then like all of us, not on Jesus, but just like organized religion. And then, sorry, Blaine, if you're listening, bro. So if you guys know Blaine, Blaine knows who he is. He knows where he fits. He's speaking here in a couple weeks. Um, the guy who's given up. Uh, and I can walk into that room and I can be like, guys, I'm wrestling through this. I don't get, like, we're supposed to be the most pro-life, like, state. I, I get that. Do you understand our attorney general is trying to execute as many people as possible? My pro-life says I got to fight for the unborn child and the immigrant and those on death row, and it doesn't stop there, right? I mean, I'm, I'm not telling what you have to believe. I'm telling you what I process in this group. And we're about to vote for an attorney general, and I feel like everybody's just like, how many can we kill as quickly as possible? And it grieves me. I have a problem with that. Like my faith doesn't align with capital punishment. What, what Jesus says in Matthew 5 overturns Leviticus. Like lex talionis, tooth for a tooth, eye for an eye. Jesus is like, not anymore. Not in the new covenant. I, those are the things like, I don't know exactly where I stand on that. I can't preach a message to you about that. But like, I want to wrestle through it, right? You with me? Like we need the body of Christ to be diverse. Like we, we have to step into those spaces and show the world because how do the world be any different if they don't see United Church? Like you guys look just like us, right side and left side, right? Just divided. A couple of you sit in the middle, you know? That's not how we've broken it up this morning, but you get me, you get the drift, yeah. 
Now I'm just off the rails. Like I just left the notes a long time ago. <laughs> we show the, the, the world, man, it, this is what unity and diversity looks like. Yeah, we, we're not aligned on maybe every little issue because we wrestle with them, but Jesus is sufficient for us. And we're about to come to the table in a minute because Jesus is sufficient. Let me give you these other two real quick. We must find our core identity in Christ and pursue a life of obedience and holiness, which leads to freedom, not bondage. And we, especially in regards to sexual ethics, our identity is in who Jesus said we were, what he has done for us. And our tendency will be Eve in the garden is to look and say, man, that fruit looks good. I even desire it. Maybe God didn't really mean it. Maybe I don't have to follow it. Your identity is that you are loved and redeemed child of God. You are formed in the image of God. You were created to live and flourish under the lordship of Jesus. It is not restrictive and it not, is not bondage. It is life as you were designed. And I have said this before, and I, I say this with great pause and reflection, but there are people that have rejected the kingdom of God here and are expecting to live in the kingdom of God there. And I don't know how that's going to work because I'm not God. But I can't think, but if you reject his kingdom there, how will you want to live in it then? Tim Keller says, freedom is not what the culture tells us. Real freedom comes from a strategic loss of some freedoms in order to gain others. It is not the absence of constraints, but it is choosing the right constraints and the right freedoms to lose. This is the way of Jesus. The way of the cross is we give up some of our rights in order to experience what we believe is true freedom in life. The last one is this, number three, we must live incarnationally in the tension of grace and truth, known for our love and a willingness to live a radically countercultural lifestyle. Politics is a great servant, a horrible master. We don't serve politics. Politics is not the primary way the kingdom of God comes to reality. The primary way the kingdom of God comes to reality is you and I, the church, being the hands and feet of Jesus in the world that we live in. Amen? That means it can't be us versus them. No, we're here, you're over there. No, you are who God's called us to go reach. And so we're gonna live like Jesus in the midst of people in a countercultural way that draws them to the life of Christ, amen? My time is up. Won't you stand with me across this room? Could someone get me some communion? I don't know where mine went. Anybody got an extra? Craig, you're a good man. Craig, you are not allowed to belly flop this year. Last year, you like busted a blood vessel in your eye doing that. Yeah. It's a real spiritual moment we had there. I realized today, um, so funny because as a young pastor, I would go up here and I'd like boldly preach messages and I feel like the older I get, I do more with fear and trembling because I realize it affects real people who I love. And we want to walk that grace truth paradigm as Jesus did. And he was the perfect representation of completely love and yet never compromising truth. And I aspire to that and I fall short in it. But to be a place that man loves people exactly where they are, the kingdom of God is yours. At the same time, not letting go of the rope of what leads to life. A culture that says, man, if you tell people what they should do, that's not love. That's, no. The way of Jesus says, man, there's life as God intended. How do we do that? Can we do that well? I know about you, but I want to do that well. That's what I want to aspire to. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you 
for your word that leads us into life and truth. God, I thank you this morning for people in this room, people listening online, people who are wrestling and struggling with their sexuality. I can't help but think just like you did on the Sea of Galilee, on when you gave the Sermon on the Mount, you gathered together those who feel like they didn't have a place and were left out, and you said, the kingdom of God is yours. If you come to faith in Jesus and you accept me, the kingdom is yours. God, I pray that you would draw those individuals in, that they would find their identity in you, Father, not the things the world says, not the lies the world offers. Help us to live faithfully in this grace and truth and holding on to both. Help us, Father. Help us, God. As we enter into this time of communion, God, we confess that the cross is enough to bring us together. In a world that wants to do everything possible to rip us apart, we are united because we are nothing without Jesus. We are lost without you. And we give everything to you today. We give it all to you, Father. Scripture tells us that Jesus takes the bread and he breaks it. He says, this is my body broken for you. I'm broken so that you could be put back together and be made whole. Let's take together. And Jesus took the cup. The blood poured out for your sins. You cannot save yourself. And I'm going to come on a rescue mission and do it for you. Let's take the blood of Jesus together. Will you take the next few seconds and just overflow with thankfulness and gratitude where you're at for the work of Jesus? God, thank you that in my brokenness and sin, you rescued me. God, thank you, Father, that you reached down and you loved me. Thank you, Father. God, let us walk from this room in humility and love and sacrifice not building our own teams and us as versus them, but man, looking wherever we can go to love people well and fully, completely. God, change us, Father, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. City Church, love you. Grateful to be your pastor and honored that we can walk through difficult things together in a very difficult cultural moment as well with love and grace. Um, let me remind you a few things. I'm gonna ask our prayer team to come forward. When we exit in just a few minutes, if you need prayer over anything, these people are here just to love you, pray over you, and pray with you. Um, please stick around if you need that. If you're a first-time guest, I'd love to meet you in the welcome room. And uh, just 10 seconds of your time, give you a free gift, meet you. Next week, we start our Summer Sunday series. If you haven't been around here, every, all of July, which is five weeks, this we're going to have fun things outside that you can grab. We need something fun and lighthearted right now, don't we? And so you can just hang out with people and there's going to be something from like snow cones to like fruit stuff. And like every week it's something different. And it's just an opportunity for our church to be community and it's just hangout time. And uh, we'd love for you to join us those weeks in July. And um, I think that's it. Sign up for baptism. If you need to be baptized in water, that's, that's your next step. We hope that you do that. Let's end with our mission statement. Go live it out this week, wherever you are. Be the gospel.